We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to a Buffalo Bills Victory Monday episode of Talking Buffalo, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, for locking in today. Audio side only, nothing up on YouTube. Today, I'm doing this solo and won't be a long episode. Today is about my 10 biggest Buffalo Bills takeaways on the heels of a very emotional and a very important, very big victory over the New England Patriots, knocking them out of the playoffs. Buffalo Bills finished the regular season at 13-3, and finishes the second seed, and now we know that they'll be playing the Miami Dolphins next Sunday, 1 p.m. We'll talk about that in just a few here. Um, Yeah, this was a very long week, a very emotional week. Probably for a lot of football fans and just people around the world that have followed the DeMar Hamlin story, um, obviously it looked very, very grim on Monday. And, uh, you know, miraculously, over the last handful of days, DeMar has really improved. I mean, it's just been incredible. I think I heard a comment on uh, the Fox pregame today, something about along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but from tragedy to triumph, of the human spirit. And that couldn't be more true. But anyway, especially here in Western New York for people, it's just made for a very long week, a very trying week, a very emotional week. Um, you know, for me personally, it, it also got worse. I don't want to really get into a lot of details here uh, on the show, but one of my closest friends in the world, somebody who I consider a cousin, even though he's not my blood cousin, he is my blood or my wife's blood cousin. Anyway, his, uh, his father, sadly and unexpectedly and suddenly, passed away on Friday. So it's just been a week of, uh, you know, the full gamut of emotions, very draining, um, putting a lot of things in perspective, learning to to not take things for granted. That's for damn sure. Um, so this game on Sunday was just a, well, you know, from a football aspect or just a, a life aspect, it was a nice, welcomed uh, escape from a, a very, very tough week. Like I said, I watched, uh, and I, by the way, I watched the game with uh, my family, which I usually don't do. Well, I, that's not true. I watch every game with my son and I watch most games also with my wife, but it's usually the three of us in our house and that's it. Meanwhile, uh, my wife's family, who is that's a very large family, they have this thing and it's been going on for years and years where every week they alternate whose home is going to be in and the family gathers and watches it together. We're talking 20, 30 deep. Usually, that's not my cup of tea. Much love to the family, but I just, I don't know, man. I'm too much of a of a psychopath when I watch games, running around or, or pacing around my floor, yelling at the TV. You know how it is for uh, rabid football fans like myself. But anyway, so I usually don't partake in that. But given everything that's happened this week, I just wanted to be around as much family as possible. So that was awesome. Um, the game itself, obviously important. I don't know if I'd go as far to say awesome because there are some things about the game from a Bills perspective that weren't great. But the bottom line and all that matters ultimately is uh, the 12 point victory. Like I said, this is not going to be a long episode. I got 10. I'll call them my biggest 
Buffalo Bills takeaways, and I'll spend a few minutes at the end just talking about next week and the, the start of the NFL playoffs. Uh, let's just jump right into it. So these are my 10 biggest Buffalo Bills takeaways from Sunday, and I'll start here. Every team in the NFL gets lucky to some degree, to some extent. I think the difference between a team that's really good and a team that's not is the better teams always seem to take advantage of their opportunities. You know, when luck comes their way, they take advantage. Where other teams, they blow it. And I'll tell you what, you watch this game, and if you watch it back, and again, it was a very emotional game. More on that, I'm sure, uh, throughout some of these uh, points anyway. But quite frankly, I, I thought the Bills were were pretty lucky in, on the uh, receiving end of some of the game's most pivotal plays, luck being on their their side a little bit. The Bills had three interceptions in this game. And uh, I'll tell you, man, well, actually, they did have three interceptions, but two of the interceptions come back to what I was just talking about, being a little bit lucky. Now, Matt Milano had an interception in the end zone um, off a Hunter Henry tip that looked like it was going to be a catch and probably a a touchdown for the Patriots. And they're down 12 in the fourth quarter when when that happened, and it looked like they're ready to get back into a one-score game, but the, the ball got tipped. Milano came down with it, and uh, that was a huge play. Another one which kind of sealed the game for Buffalo was uh, Mac Jones threw a pass to Damian Harris, under duress, by the way, and Damian Harris got a ball on, or a hand on the ball, but it kind of went up in the air and stayed in the air, and Tremaine Edmonds was able to be in the right place at the right time and come down with it. That was kind of like uh, the death knell for New England on that play right there. And then there was another play, and Troy White, who did have an interception earlier in the game, he got burned deep. I don't say he got burned, but he got beat deep on a, on a bomb. I, I believe it was Devontae Parker who, who got past him. But again, luck was on the Bills' side because the ball hit him in the face mask, and it was not a completed pass. So, like I said, these are just things that you look at the stats and you look at the Bills' linebackers having two interceptions. And don't get me wrong, right place, right time, and that matters too. But ultimately, these were balls that went off New England Patriot receivers' hands and into the waiting arms of Bills linebackers, and that's lucky. And that's not dissing the Bills because, like I said, every team is lucky to some extent or has opportunities at least to get lucky, and the better teams take advantage of that and the lesser teams don't. And I think the Bills took better advantage of uh, opportunities to get lucky on Sunday. I thought that was a, a big factor. Um, another point I wanted to hit on, uh, Teron Johnson. I mean, this guy I thought was just sensational. I tweeted about it a couple times during the game. I think Teron Johnson is not just uh, one of the most underrated players on the Buffalo Bills or in this AFC East. I think Teron Johnson might be one of the most underrated defensive players in the entire NFL. I'm talking key breakups, well-timed hits on pass coverage. I don't remember who it was, but he crushed somebody and it was a clean hit too. He's good against the run. I mean, he's good enough against the run that the Bills barely ever have to play in a, in a three linebacker set. In fact, I'm pretty confident without looking at staff counts right now. I'm pretty confident. I don't think the Bills played a snap the whole game with AJ Klein out there. I don't think they played one snap with three linebackers. So again, and the reason why the Bills are able to always be in a nickel defense is because Teron Johnson can play the run good enough to, uh, to make up for that third linebacker. And obviously he's much, much better in coverage. Um, so I'll tell you, man, and he went, you know, lost in all this DeMar Hamlin stuff. I mean, obviously human life is way more important than football. So understandably all the focus was on DeMar Hamlin in Cincinnati, but not long before that, Teron Johnson went down with a head injury. And I'll tell you, that was scary. Obviously anytime a player gets injured, it's always scary, but I'm talking in terms of football. I was horrified for this football team. I mean, the drop-off between Teron Johnson when he's out there and Saran Neal when he's not is insane. It's night and day. It's more than night and day. It's such a big drop-off. So Teron Johnson being out there, he was he was cleared from protocol this week, and he was a huge factor. I thought Teron Johnson and maybe Greg Rizzo were firing away the best players on the Bills defense Sunday. So, yeah, man, Teron Johnson just absolutely sensational. I think he's one of the most underrated players in this football league. The Buffalo Bills are so, so lucky to have him. And 
this defense is just not the same when he's not out there. So that was another takeaway. Um, a third. And again, these, by the way, these are kind of random. It's not like I'm ranking these in importance from, from first and most important to least. These are kind of random and I'm kind of going back and forth between offense and defense here. But, uh, Another takeaway I have is like literally starting now, like as you're listening to this right now, going forward for these playoffs, I think James Cook needs to not just get more snaps in Devin Singletary. I think James Cook needs to dominate the running back snap count going forward. Here's the bottom line. James Cook is just flat out better than Devin Singletary. He's better. He's better and I don't think it's no longer close either. And it's not that I, I don't hate Devin Singletary. I mean, I'm not a huge Devin Singletary guy. And if you listen to this show, I'm sure you would know that. But I just think James Cook is, is a lot better at this point. Now, early in the season, James Cook would flash a little bit, but he would also make a lot of mistakes. Whether it was a fumble, whether it was a missed assignment, running the wrong route, dropping a pass, missing on a pass block, committing a penalty, whatever it may be. I think rookie mistakes and just a rookie mindset kind of kept that gap close between him and Devin. But at this point, James Cook just looks really good. I mean, he is so patient running the football. He just waits for that hole and then he hits it. And when he hits it, man, he hits it hard. He, he's just, a, I think he's a really good running back. I think that the offense looks better. I think that the offense feels more dangerous when he's on the field. And again, I think that's becoming glaringly evident too. Now, that's not to say Devin Singletary has no role on this team. I just think he's the guy right now who should be the change of pace running back. And I like at the end of the game, and this might be the first time this year where I think I've seen this, where the Bills were trying to put away a game with running the football, that it was James Cook out there late in the fourth quarter and not Devin Singletary. Now, I'll say this too, Devin Singletary fumbled, which, to be fair to him, I don't think it was an egregious mistake, a horrible fumble. I mean, I, I think it might have been McCordy. Somebody just punched the ball out. Absolute perfect timing as he was getting hit. I think most running backs would have fumbled on that play. But, I mean, that play did not go lost on the Buffalo Bills, on Sean McDermott and on Ken Dorsey. Because I think, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Devin Singletary only saw like one snap the rest of that second half after that fumble. I just like Cook coming out of the backfield to catch the ball. I like his vision. I think it's improved a lot. Um, I think he's running more confidently. He's getting yards after contact, and it might not be a ton of them, but there's a lot of times where it looks like he's only getting one or two yards, and he ends up getting four or five after contact. I just like James Cook a lot. And it goes without saying in the future, like come next year, I think it's pretty obvious you're looking at a, a tandem where James Cook is the one and Naheem Hines is the two and Devin Singletary will go get a payday somewhere else, which good for him. Again, I'm not anti-Devin Singletary. I hope he does get paid. I don't think the Bills are going to pay him. Not with all the other stuff they got to worry about. Plus, I think James Cook is better. So starting on Sunday when they play Miami and hopefully beyond that, I would like to see maybe a, a percentage of a split where I, I see Cook out there 70 to 75% of the time and then Singletary the rest. Not the other way around, not 50-50. I think at this point, James Cook is too good and too much of a weapon and too much of a threat to not be out there a lot more than Devin Singletary. All right, here comes another takeaway too on the other side of the ball. Um, I think based on what I've seen Sunday, based on what I saw over a quarter in Cincinnati and just generally over... Uh, the last four to six weeks, not at all times, but too many, too much of the time. Anyway, I think the bills need more out of the defensive tackle position in the playoffs. And I'm talking about Jordan Phillips and Daquan Jones and Tim settle. And even Ed Oliver, it's as simple as that. They're not getting off blocks. They're not getting pressure on the quarterback. They're not collapsing the pocket. I think they need to be better. Uh, Mac Jones, he was just, he was often too comfortable in the pocket. He was, he was forcing the Bills, I thought, and again, without looking at the stats, I don't have the advanced stats yet, but it felt like the Bills blitzed um, seemingly far more than they normally do. And I, and I think that's because 
Um, the defensive line as a whole was not getting to Mac Jones. They certainly weren't getting home on him. They only had one sack for the game. And they just weren't even pressuring him that much. Now he was also getting rid of the ball pretty quickly. A lot of time he passes, a lot of play action stuff. I get that. But I just, I don't see them, the defensive tackles, I don't see them getting off blocks in the running game. I don't see them collapse in the pocket much. I don't see them forcing, whether it's Mac Jones or other quarterbacks, to get out and have to move more. I just, it's not to say that they've been terrible, but I mean, Jordan Phillips was a force early in the season. I know he's been hurt a couple times and has definitely had uh, played a factor, but I'm not seeing much from him. And Ed Oliver's playing okay. By his standards, I think he's just playing decent. I don't think he's been playing crappy, but I also don't think he's taken a step where I thought he might right now, where I thought he might be one of the better defensive tackles in the entire NFL. I'd like to see more out of him. I think the Bills need more out of him. And uh, that's so that's one takeaway. I'm going to kind of continue and let this roll into another one. Then we'll take a quick break. I want to go to the outside guys on the defensive line. I'm talking about the defensive ends because collectively, look, here's what I'm getting at, folks. Vaughn Miller being out, they've gotten away with it. But now, again, you're getting into the playoffs. Guys need to step up. And I think there's one guy who really has stepped up, and that's been Greg Rizzoli. But he's been good when Vaughn Miller was there, and he's been good when Vaughn Miller's not there. I thought Greg Rizzoli played great on Sunday. Again, him alongside Teron Johnson, far and away were the best two players that I saw on defense. He had a sack, the only sack of the game for the Bills. He's finished with uh, eight in 14 games this season. So he's been really, really good. He has definitely taken a step. He had five, I think, his rookie year, eight in 14 games this year. Plays well against the run, gets after the quarterback, alters throws. I I think Greg Rizzo has been fantastic. But outside of him, I feel like the production on the defensive end position has looked kind of scarce. Uh, Shaq Lawson, I'll tell you, he's in the rotation, and he seems to make like one or two strong plays a game. I like Shaq Lawson. In fact, I would go as far to say that Shaq Lawson could be a a contender when we do a year um, a year end award show. I think Shaq Lawson is a, a contender for underrated player, unsung hero of the year on his team. I think he's been really good. But outside of that, very little from AJ Epinesa, even though he has six, seven sacks on the season. I almost said six. He's got seven on the season. But it's like, you know, I, I talked about this, I think, on Twitter earlier this week or maybe last week, too. It's been like the most uneventful seven-sack season I think I've ever seen a, a defensive end have. Like, not impactful plays. He just seems to, to get a sack at some point of the game. But anyway, I'm not liking what I'm seeing from AJ Epinesa, and I'm liking even less what I'm seeing from Boogie Basham. He might get a pressure to a game, but I see him just get pushed off the ball. I see him missing tackles, just being out of position a lot, a lot more than I like anyway. So when it comes to Epinesa and Boogie right now, these guys got to turn it up to a level, man. They got to get to a new level. It's got to start next week against Miami. I can't emphasize this. The for the Bills' defense, I think anyway, to be really good, they have to be better with the front four. And this is where the Vaughn Miller injury really comes into play because he gets after the quarterback so well, he atta- or he attracts double teams all the time, which opens more things up for the other guys on the line. The Bills need to be better at getting after a quarterback. And even if they're not necessarily sacks, at least getting them out of their comfort zone, getting them out of the pocket, making them rush a football. Things like that. The Bills need to be better so that they're not blitzing Matt Milano a lot or they're not bringing Poyer or Teron Johnson off the edge. I mean, it's the same way for every team. Any team defensively that's successful, they want to get after the quarterback only having to rush four guys. So, I mean, it's not like anything unique that I'm saying here. But the point is they simply need to be better when it comes to, to getting after the quarterback and not blitzing because there are some issues in this secondary. You want to have six, seven guys in coverage every play if you can. So be better, AJ Epinesa. Be better, Boogie Basham. Hopefully Shaq Lawson, who's played well, like I said, he could continue to make a couple plays a game, and Greg Rizzo could get more help on the other side, like I said, or not the other side, but inside at Oliver, you maybe get home, finish a couple plays, and I'd really like to see the Jordan Phillips that I saw over the first, I don't know, first half of the season or so. So that's about halfway through uh, my biggest takeaways. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back and uh, got some other takes, including a wide receiver that literally everyone likes to talk about on social media or in water cooler debates. Of course, I'm talking about 
Gabe Davis. Be right back, folks. Sports fans who like to wager, which is pretty much everyone these days, I'm here to tell you about Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day bets. If you're looking for a one-stop space on these interwebs to compare odds live up to the minute, look no further than Odds Trader. Why is Odds Trader so valuable to you? Well, for starters, it's the perfect place to compare betting odds and lines from all the major sports books. Why does it matter? Well, it matters because if you're liking a team, you want to throw down some cash on them. You're getting your choice of what's getting you the best odds, the best lines. It's a chance to find the highest payouts if you're betting the underdogs or profiting the most if you're going to go with the favorites. Odds Trader also allows you to compare all the different sign-up codes and promos from the sports books to get the best deal out there for you. If that's not enough, the Odds Trader app gives you the player stats, key game stats, injury reports, projected game day weather, which could be a huge thing to know in certain situations. Odds Trader also has a bet tracker so that you can keep records of all your games that you have wagers on and all your betting activity. Simply put, Odds Trader gives you quite literally everything you need to make the most informed bets humanly possible. If you're into betting on sports games, any sport, by the way, make sure you go to oddstrader.com slash bluewire. Again, that's oddstrader.com slash bluewire. Oddstrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I'm back here. This is going to be, by the way, I should have said this at the top. This is probably going to be a busy week here. We're talking Buffalo. Lots going on, obviously. It's NFL playoff time here. And also the Buffalo Sabres, by the way, are kicking ass, man. And we haven't been talking much about the Sabres. That's going to change starting real soon. In fact, that's going to change tomorrow. Because just like every Tuesday, I have Joe Yurden with me. He does, he will be here tomorrow. He hasn't been here in a couple of weeks. But um, Joe will be on tomorrow. Then on Friday, Aaron Quinn from Cover One. I'm sure we'll have an extensive Bills Miami preview. And then I'm going to, I'm at least between Wednesday and Thursday, not quite sure which one yet, but I'm at least going to have one other show one of those two days. And I'm working on trying to get somebody who covers the Miami Dolphins. I'd like to get, uh, you know, a preview of the Bills Miami game from the perspective as well of somebody who covers or at least follows closely uh, the Miami Dolphins. So look for that. Later this week on Talking Buffalo. Anyway, getting back to my 10 biggest Buffalo Bills takeaways from Sunday. Look, man, I don't know what the hell has happened to Gabe Davis. Um, I am a big, big, big Gabe Davis fan. Everybody knows that. Uh, I was through the, through the roof high on him near the end of last season. And this was before the Chiefs four touchdown monster breakout performance in the playoffs last year. I was just high on him as a player. Um, High on him this offseason. I thought he was going to be not just a really good number two wide receiver for the Bills, but I, I'm like, this guy might end up being a top 20 to 25 uh, receiver in the entire NFL. It had not been the case this year. I'm just going to keep it real. I don't know what the hell's happening to him. It feels like, I don't know, it feels like he's like almost some kind of head case or something. And I know that might sound harsh and maybe the, the wording is, is not great there, but there's just so like, maybe there, there's something mentally that's wrong with his game right now. The lack of confidence. He's overthinking. I, I don't know what it may be. Now I know he had an ankle injury very early in the season, 
And that certainly physically stunned him for quite a while. I don't know if he's still thinking about his foot. Maybe we'll find out in the offseason that he's been playing with a, a bad foot or bad ankle pretty much this entire season. We'll, we'll find that out in due time. But yeah, mentally, it's just, I don't know, just something seems off with him. Confidence and just catching even the ball funny. Put it this way, he has definitely not built off last year. And this is a guy, he's capable of making big plays. And we've seen some of it this year. It's not like he's done nothing. That Pittsburgh game, he was dominant, two huge touchdown plays. So he's making big plays. But the problem is you can't trust him. And that's a really hard needle to to thread with Gabe Davis because he's out there, he's a starter, he's a number two receiver. He's capable of making plays. But when you can't trust him, what does Josh Allen do? You know, it's a big play, a big point of the game. Do you trust to throw the ball to him? You do, if you do, is he going to make the play? It's just, he had three catches for 39 yards on Sunday, 10 targets. So only three catches on 10 targets. And that's not to say they're all his fault. But look, first and foremost, he flat out dropped a 51-yard touchdown pass in the fourth quarter. I mean, Josh Allen threw the ball right there. It hit him literally in his hands. It was a, a defender in his face with back to him, trying to make a play on the ball. But that ball hits him. In his hands, he's got to catch it. That was a 51-yard highlight touchdown right there, and he dropped it. Uh, Yeah, another drop during the game. Uh, There was another one where it was not a great throw for Josh Allen on the sidelines, and Gabe caught the ball, but he didn't get two feet down. That wasn't an easy play to make, but I feel like it's a play that a good NFL wide receiver makes. Like, Stephon Diggs comes down with that football. He drags his two feet down. Gabe didn't drag the feet. Um, For the season, 46 catches. But again, 93 targets, so less than half the targets for the season that have went to Gabe Davis have went for catches. So 46 catches on 93 targets, 836 yards, and seven TDs. Not terrible. I mean, those aren't horrible number two wide receiver numbers. Maybe the bar was set really high for Gabe based on what we saw in the Indiana last year. But 46 for 836 and seven, man, that's just... uh. I expected more. And I think we're going to need more from him. Just like we're going to need more for a lot of guys when it gets to playoff time starting next week. But I don't know, man. Again, it's tough for me because I am a big pro Gabe Davis guy, but he's just not getting it done with any consistency. Leading to another point here. John Brown, man, 42-yard touchdown catch. Unbelievable catch by John Brown. So you take that play, who, by the way, John Brown is, I don't I think it's been at least three games, maybe longer. Since Cole Beasley came back, they've been elevating him every week from the practice squad. Uh, this week to go, John Brown got the elevation. Makes an unbelievable 42-yard touchdown. I mean, he showed his speed. This was the kind of guy that the Bills were in love with three years ago. We got a glimpse of that in a big pivotal moment, by the way, of this game on Sunday. So great play by John Brown. And then you couple that with uh, Khalil Shakir making a big play. He had a 28-yard catch. To me, I think this tells me that next week against Miami, the Bills should use a their wide receiver practice squad elevation for John Brown and not Cole Beasley. Part of it goes back to what I just said about Gabe Davis. You know, right now, your Stefan Diggs is your, he's the only guy you could trust to get down the field and make a play. But what we saw from John Brown is promising and as nothing against Cole Beasley. I just repeating what I said about Gabe. I, I think John Brown is a guy that he's given an opportunity to make a, a big play down the field using speed to score a touchdown, a big touchdown like he did today or on Sunday. I think that's the guy you go with. And I think the fact that Khalil Shakir had a nice 28 yard catch, maybe that gives them a little bit more confidence to, to use him in a role behind Isaiah McKenzie, because I'm going to tell you right now, with or without Cole Beasley being active for these games, uh, I don't think they're going to get too much away from what you see with Isaiah McKenzie each week. Now on Sunday, I think he only caught one pass, only had like maybe two targets. Other games, he's had more, but I think that's kind of what you're going to get from McKenzie. And I'm not sure that Beasley being out there is going to take that much of it away. So I don't know, given the struggles of Gabe Davis and the fact that the Bills Probably going to need more big plays on offense, I think. Practice squad elevation, you got to pick one. I'm going with John Brown over Cole Beasley. Uh, Continuing here, got a couple more. 
Dean Marlowe, first action of the season. The Bills traded for him hours before the trade deadline. Uh, Dean's been inactive for several weeks. And the reason being is this. Cam Lewis has been active and Dean Marlowe's not. And the reason being is because when DeMar Hamlin was healthy and starting, you had DeMar and Jordan Poyer, and then Cam Lewis was your third safety and a backup, and he was active because he played special teams. That's why he was getting the nod, which he's been good on special teams this year, minus a horrific um, roughing the punter penalty a couple weeks ago, which just had me going absolutely bananas at him. But anyway, he's been good on special teams for the most part. That's why he's getting the nod. I had a really good tackle. Uh, Sunday against the Patriots. Um, D. Marlowe, but anyway, so D. Marlowe gets, um, he's active this week, obviously, after what happened to DeMar. And I said it earlier this week, I said, I have a pretty good hunch that even though he hasn't been active and Kevin Lewis has, that when D. Marlowe gets active, he's going to be the one to start at, at safety alongside Poyer. And that was certainly the case. Again, I don't have snap counts at the time of taping this podcast, which is pretty late into, uh, Sunday night, actually, into Monday morning. But anyway, the, the form I have does not have uh, official Bills snap counts. But I'd venture to say that D. Marlowe played most and possibly even all the snaps at safety. Um, he wasn't tested. That's the point I'm trying to make here, my takeaway. D. Marlowe wasn't tested. It was his first action as a starter. I'm surprised that the Patriots did not take uh, some more deep shots and, and work the middle of the field around the areas where Marlowe was. He was in on a couple tackles. Again, it's really hard to say how you think Dean Marlowe looked because he wasn't really factored in any plays. He didn't he didn't make any big plays. He didn't make any significant plays, but he also didn't get beat. I don't because I don't even think he was really tested. I think that's definitely going to change. I strongly suspect the Miami Dolphins are going to take deep shots, which we'll find out if Dean Marlowe's up to the challenge. And you know, you, you need to be careful. I need to be careful. Certainly. Putting things into perspective, when you talk about DeMar Hamlin, and we could do a whole podcast on just how amazing this last 72 hours has been with his recovery and the outpouring of love and all that. That's most important, his health. It always, 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 always will be. That said, if we're going to talk about football here, because that's what this is, is a podcast that primarily talks about football, and this is a football team. And they're going into the football playoffs right now. You got to talk about football and DeMar Hamlin being out and Dean Marlowe being in to me is a downgrade. It just comes down to how big of a downgrade is that now DeMar Hamlin was by no means playing perfect safety. I thought he DeMar Hamlin from a football um, standpoint here. I thought DeMar, DeMar Hamlin was excellent the first half of the season. And then I think he might hit a little bit of a wall and regress a little bit, but it doesn't mean he was bad. He was getting beat on plays, but he was also making plays too. And that's what I'm saying. He was involved in a lot of things. They blitzed DeMar a lot. Whereas I think um, D Marlowe, he was pretty much staying home and playing center field. So I think we'll find out pretty soon what the bills have in Dean Marlowe and if he's up to the task, but a big takeaway that I saw was that new England really didn't go at him much. And uh, and didn't test him. Two more takeaways here. I, I The big plays. Look, the big play, Buffalo Bills, is what we saw on Sunday. That's what I want to see in the playoffs. Besides the fact it's fun. It's fun to watch big plays. I mean, who doesn't like big plays, right? But I think this is the way that they need to play to win a Super Bowl. They need to make big plays. Now, obviously, the two kickoff returns by Naeem Hines, those were monstrous. Can't count on that, though. You know, I can't count on even one kickoff return for a touchdown game, let alone two. But anyway, my point is, I said at the very beginning here that I thought I thought the Bills were got lucky a lot. Like the interception, the deflections, things like that. I thought the Bills got lucky. They also had big plays, and this is why they won the football game. You got the two kickoff returns for touchdowns by Hines. Um, you had the 42-yard touchdown pass to John Brown. You had the 49-yard touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs, which, God, man, that separation speed, that Stephon Diggs, that last, that final gear, that extra gear to get to that football, just unbelievable. And by the way, Stephon Diggs is so damn good, it's almost easy to take a season like his for granted. It's crazy. 108 catches, 1,429 yards, 11 touchdowns. 
The 108 catches, I believe, are second all-time in Bill's single-season history behind him his, uh, two years ago, his own record. The 14-29 is same same deal. Second Buffalo Bills single-season all-time behind his own record two years ago. And then 11 touchdown catches, which tied Billy Brooks for the most in franchise history. This guy's just been literally sensational all year, and he's so good, you almost take him for granted. But anyway, 42-yard bomb to John Brown. The 49-yard bomb to Stephon Diggs. By the way, both beautiful throws by Josh Allen that gave his receivers a chance to run under him and make a play. A perfect amount of air under those footballs. Then you had a 28-yarder to Khalil Shakir down the field. And then you had what should have been a a 51-yard touchdown to to Gabe Davis. That game dropped. Those are a lot of big plays on offense. And then you turn around defensively. And look, defensively, I'm going to be honest, man. I don't think the Bills played very well on defense Sunday. They gave up three touchdown drives of at least 74 yards. And I think Mac Jones was like 17 for 17 on those three touchdown drives, something like that. He was like literally perfect throwing the football on the three long touchdown drives that uh, the Patriots scored on. But I'll tell you, if you're going to, if you're not going to play well on defense, you're going to give up plays and drives and have a team methodically go around the field and beat you. If you could get three interceptions like the Bills got from Matt Milano and from Tremaine Diamonds and from Trey White, that makes up for it. You know, it's good if the Bills can run the football. It's good if the conditions are really shitty out and you have to be more methodical offensively and, you know, they're playing prevent defense basically and they're daring Josh Allen to, th- to throw a lot of passes to to Dawson Knox or to dump it off to Cook or shorter passes to, to uh, Diggs. Or they're inviting your running backs to get six yards a, a carry running the football and that's what it's going to take to win. It's good that the Bills could do that if they had to. But ultimately, with this type of team that Buffalo has right now, I think it's about the big plays on both sides of the football. These plays that Josh Allen made, the touchdown to Brown, the touchdown to Diggs, what should have been a touchdown to Davis, this is what separates Josh Allen from a Mac Jones and nearly any quarterback in the NFL whose name's not Pat Mahomes or Joey Burrow. These are the plays that only he can make, big plays that only quarterbacks like him can make, at least on a consistent basis. You need to, the Bills, opponents need to know that Hey, you start bringing guys in, you start playing to run too much, you start, you know, just leaving guys to spy on Josh Allen so he doesn't run the football, you're bringing safeties up, you're blitzing them. I'm going to tell you right now, Josh can make it pay, and we saw it. So those big plays are huge on offense. And then on defense, you hear Ben, but don't break. Look, if, if teams are going to run on the Bills, which if they're playing nickel the whole game, the Bills are almost inviting them to try to run the football. And if you're not going to get to the quarterback with consistency, which is a lot harder without Von Miller being on the field, you better damn well make some big plays on defense. And the Bills made three big plays. One was a great catch by White. The other two were, again, like I said, kind of lucky opportunities that Milano and Edmonds took care of. So I, I think for the Bills to go far in the playoffs, possibly win the Super Bowl, they need to make these handful of big plays every game. Again, you're not going to count on Hines to run back kicks. But it's not unrealistic to say if Josh Allen could throw three passes for at least 30 yards a game and if the Bills could get two turnovers on defense, that I like their chances against anybody. Uh, last, last takeaway, look, I'll say this. That opening kickoff, Naheem Hines to start the game, that felt like, to me, one of the most memorable plays that I can remember in football. Not because of the touchdown run, which, by the way, that was great. Even if nothing happened this week, that still would have been a great play and got the fans would have still been frenzied. But given what happened, Given the emotion for DeMar Hamlin, given the energy in that stadium, given the emotion of the players all week long, leading up to the game, pregame, which by the way, the Bills recognizing the the training, the assistant trainers, the head trainers, all of them, that was beautiful before the game. But anyway, all that emotion, and then they have the opening kickoff, New England wins the toss, they defer, you kick off the Hines and he runs it back 94. Four ninety-six yards for a touchdown, and the roof just came off the place. Josh Allen's got his hands over his head, and that's what I—that's the moment that I'm going to remember. As beautiful as Hines' play was, and the and jumping into the stands, I'm going to remember looking at Josh Allen because, and I'll tell you why. What a difference two football games make. So you go back to Monday night, 
and the, 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 the near death of DeMar Hamlin on the football field and the reaction of these players. And it's embedded into my brain watching Josh Allen in horror, eyes watery with tears, hands over his football helmet, just stunned in disbelief. That was sadness. That was grief. That was fear. Fast forward to this Sunday. Naheem Hines scores. Immediate cut to Josh Allen on the camera. He's got his hands over his head in disbelief again. Only this was good raw emotion. This was joy. This was unbelievable. This was prophetic. You know, you heard the post-game press conferences, and hopefully you did. Josh Allen emotional talking about the play, saying it's one of the most memorable plays that he's ever seen in his life. And it just felt like destiny. It felt like fate. It was fate's way of saying, all right, man, DeMar's okay. We're back to playing football. We got through this. We triumphed. Now let's go out there and play some Buffalo Bills football. You know, it was just an incredible, incredible feeling. I feel like it's going to go down alongside that that Houston um, Houston Oilers playoff miracle where the Bills were down 32 points and came back and won. That game was blacked out on TV. And through the years, one of the funny anecdotes is that it seems like everybody, every year, more and more people were at that game. It went from 50, 60,000, whatever it might have been at that time, to today, probably 300,000 people will say that they were at that Houston Oilers playoff comeback. I feel like this game is going to be the same thing. Hey, the Heinz kickoff return. I was there. I feel like there's going to be 300,000 people who say they were in that stadium. And I'll tell you, I don't like going to games, generally speaking, especially as a fan. Like if you're with the media and you're in a press box and covering a different ball game, but as a fan, I prefer to watch the Bills games at home. It's just the way I am. I'm rarely jealous of going to games, especially when it's November and December and it's cold because I ain't trying to be cold, man. I'm no tough guy, right? I don't like being cold. I like being warm in my house, watching it on a big screen TV. I don't like being at the stadium. There's not many games and not many moments where I'm jealous of people who are at the stadium. This was one of them though, because this was absolutely beautiful. This was amazing. It just, again, I watched this with my family and it's just the stunned look of everyone there going nuts. Like, yeah, we're back. The hard week is over and we're back. So I don't know, man. It was just incredible to watch and hats off to anybody who was lucky enough to be in that stadium and be witness to Naheem Himes, who, by the way, what a big, big role he had in this win on Sunday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. By the way, before I wrap up here, quick little bonus takeaway. And this is just a quick one. It appears to me as, again, I'm taping this late in the Sunday night, early in the Monday morning, just hours before you're hopefully hearing this. It appears the Bills got away from this game relatively healthy, which obviously going into a playoff game without having a bye is huge. I know Spencer Brown came off the field, got banged up, but he was, he was back in the game a few plays later. So I don't know of anyone out there who got hurt and left the game and, and didn't come back. Obviously, we'll have to wait on Monday for an injury update for Sean McDermott. Sometimes players get hurt during games. 
and they end up playing through them. But then you find out a day or so later uh, that they did something. But it looks pretty promising on the injury front for the Buffalo Bills coming out of a big victory over the New England Patriots. By the way, I got to say this too. Kind of pains me a little bit because I've hated the New England Patriots for so long. Although hatred might be a, uh, a strong word. I think I was envious and jealous of the Patriots all these years where they just routinely beat the Bills twice a year, what seemed like forever with Tom Brady. But I thought the Patriots played a, a, a tough football game. I thought they played very well. Again, I think for the most part, they kind of outplayed Buffalo on Sunday. The difference was the Bills made big plays, game-changing, impactful plays where New England didn't make as many of them. And I think the Bills better took advantage of, of opportunities that could be considered lucky, where I don't think New England did. But anyway, respect for New England and also respect for them off the field as well. You know, leading into the game, I, I think Bill Belichick said all the right things. The Patriots said all the right things. We saw plenty of, you know, Lufford DeMar stuff on New England before the game. I thought they handled uh, the whole situation very, uh, very well. But anyway, so that game's in the rearview mirror now. Bills finished 13-3. and three. Of course, they didn't get to play that 17th game. That was wiped out by the league. So the Bills finished with the second seed. We now know that they'll play the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins eked out a victory over the New York Jets at home, 11-6, to uh, earn that seventh seed. Um, the Bills are favored by 10. By the way, like I said at the beginning, this game has been announced already. All the matches have been announced. Uh, this game is at 1 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, the Buffalo Bills are favored in Vegas early on by 10 points, I think was the line that I first saw. I think maybe that's why, because I was predicting after the Bills won, we knew they'd be the two seed and we knew they'd be playing Miami. Uh, I was predicting for a handful of hours, like on social media, I thought the Bills were going to get one of the, so there's six games and three of them are in prime time. I thought it would be a lock that the Bills would get a prime time game. Um, in part, because first of all, it's always a pretty sexy matchup when you got Bills in Miami, but also um, the Bills just are a big draw. They're a ratings draw. So I was a little bit surprised that they weren't. And I like it. Don't get me wrong. You know, I, I mean, I say it all the time. Give me 17 Sunday 1 p.m. games for the Buffalo Bills. And like, I'm in heaven. I think part of the reason why the league didn't want to put this game on primetime or chose not to might be because don't know what's going on with Tua. I mean, we saw Skylar Thompson play against the Jets. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, if Tua can't go this week, and Mike McDaniel said after the game he had no indication. Um, he hasn't practiced once. He cares. McDaniel talked about whether it's this season or next season. He cares about the guy. He won't entertain him playing again until he's cleared. He's not cleared. We know that now. He has not practiced. Um, who knows if he's going to play. But anyway, my, my point is, is maybe the league thought that it wouldn't be a good idea. Maybe they didn't want to play uh, or show this game in prime time because, and I mean, this is hopeful thinking from a Buffalo aspect, but from a league thinking, they're saying that maybe with Miami having a backup quarterback in there and some of these injuries that this game might be a blowout. And nobody, unless you're a Buffalo Bills fan, wants to watch a, a blowout in prime time, especially for a playoff game. So like I said, I personally like it. I love Sunday 1 p.m. games. Even though the Bills have been literally unbeatable this year when they're not playing Sunday at 1 p.m. But whatever. I, I like it because I also, I think it, Sunday 1 p.m., it, it's a good week to to get a full regular week in now, the regular typical routine when it comes to practice this is what they usually do play on Sundays, Sunday to Sunday. So it's not a short week. I kind of like that. You know, like if they would have played Saturday night, it would have been a short week. And given everything they've went through this week, they could probably use that extra day, not just physical rest, but, you know, get a little more grounded emotionally as well. So I like Sunday 1 p.m. Uh, Jim Nance and Tony Romo will be back again. I know people have mixed feelings about Tony Romo. I like him. So I'm happy to uh, to hear them again. Again, nothing on Tua, but we'll see. I'll say this. Playoffs make guys heal quicker, at least in the eyes of doctors that that clear them. So I wouldn't count on anything when it comes to Miami Dolphins right now, except for I don't think you'll see Skylar Thompson. I think if Tua can't go, then I think you, uh, you definitely see Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I went into Sunday figuring or saying to myself, I'd most like to play New England again in the playoffs and then Miami and probably the Steelers last. I think, and the Steelers won. They did their part on Sunday. 
I felt like the Steelers were coming together. A pretty dangerous team. Rookie quarterback, but he was really improving. Uh, a couple talented players on defense, especially in the defensive line. So I thought Pittsburgh would be a little bit, even though the Bills handled them early in the season, it was a different Steelers team. I just thought that would be not a scary matchup for the Bills, but I'd be a little more concerned about that than I would have been having to play New England again. I just, I thought Matt Jones played pretty well. I just don't think New England has the physical horses to be able to defeat the Buffalo Bills. So that's the way I felt about that. Miami full strength. Look, if you have a healthy Tua and he's throwing to a healthy Tyreek Hill, who, by the way, hurt his ankle on Sunday, although he did come back to the game. Jayla Waddle's banged up too. So you got two stud receivers, but they're a little bit banged up, a little less than healthy backup quarterback. I think it's a good matchup for the Bills. Not a great one, but I think it's a good one. I mean, it's always, you know, it's a little bit scary to play a, a divisional rival. Now you're playing them for a third time because you're not really going to throw much at them that they haven't seen before. Now it just comes down to execution, but obviously I like the Bills. Off full schedule, so you got Seattle and San Francisco at San Francisco. That's 4.30 on Saturday. And then you got the Chargers and the Jags, 4 versus 5 Saturday night. And you got Bills, Dolphins, 1 o'clock on Sunday. Giants, Vikings, hot take. I think the Giants are going to upset them. I think they're going to win that game. That's 4.30 on Fox. And then the Ravens and Bengals at 8.15 on Sunday night, NBC game. And I'll tell you this too. Again, a divisional rival playing uh, a team three times. I know Cincinnati's going to be the favorite, but Lamar Jackson, there's a lot of talk that he might be back for that game. I thought Baltimore played pretty damn well, given how many injuries they had or guys who did not play or were resting against Cincinnati on Sunday because they really didn't have too much to play for. I think the Ravens, it wouldn't stun me for the Bengals to lose. Now, having said that, it wouldn't stun me if the Bengals beat the Ravens. <laughs> Hell, if they beat the Bills and if they beat the Chiefs and go back to the Super Bowl either. I'm not being anti-Cincy. I just think Baltimore is a team that knows them very well. They play tough physical defense, or at least good enough. So I think they could be in a game late in the fourth quarter against Cincinnati, and then we'll see what happens. Now, obviously, if the Bills win and Cincy wins, they're on a collision course for the divisional round, uh, which, of course, would be in Buffalo. Now, if the Bills can get past Miami and Baltimore were to upset the um, Cincinnati Bengals, that would put them in Kansas City, and then the Bills would play the winner of whoever won the Chargers in the Jaguars game in round two. And then, of course, Monday night, Dallas Cowboys at Tampa Bay Bucks. That is uh, your NFL wild card for next week. I'm excited, man. I really am. I know you guys are too. Thank you very much for, for again, like I said, for tuning in today. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, whether it's Apple or Spotify, please go ahead and do that. And also, even though this episode actually wasn't on YouTube, if you get a chance, go to YouTube, Talking Buffalo Podcast, hit the subscribe and the, and the bell on that too, because most of the episodes, the full episodes, especially ones where I'm not solo, those do go up there. I'm working hard to really build up the video side. I got some good things going on on the video side in the coming weeks. Be announcing some of that stuff soon. But anyway, thank you again. I really do appreciate you guys. Joe Yerden tomorrow, Aaron Quinn Friday. And like I said, probably another extra bonus episode, either Wednesday or Thursday. Thanks, guys. Talk to you tomorrow.